I'm very happy and thrilled to be here and to be able to preach this morning. Uh, we certainly miss Tim and uh, are ready for his safe return already, but uh, I'm very happy to be here. He's going to to snow ski, and I don't think he knew that snow was going to be coming down here in his absence. I'm glad all of you have made it here with us this morning. And as we prepare to go to the Word of God, uh, I do want to say a few things that are going on in our culture and even to bring in a little bit of history about maybe where we've seen some of these things uh, in the past. A lot of you have heard the word Puritan before, but the name Puritan was actually devised as a term of derision. And scorn, it was applied to a group of Anglican pastors in England in the 16th and 17th centuries. They sought to purify the church of its remaining Roman Catholic influences and practices. And these Puritan pastors repeatedly called for the churches of England to repent of their extensive carnality and their heresy and their priestly corruption. But the Anglican church would not repent. They could not deny the need for reformation, but they wanted a middle way rather than a thorough reformation. And the higher-ups in the Anglican hierarchy remained impenitent, but not passive, and were determined to silence the voices calling them to repentance. For decades, the Puritans faced hostility and persecution from church leaders and political rulers alike. Many suffered and died for their faith, while many more endured imprisonment and torture for the sake of Christ. The persecution reached a crescendo in 1662 when the English Parliament issued the Act of Uniformity. The decree essentially outlawed anything other than strict Anglican doctrine and practice. That led to a monumental and tragic day in England's spiritual history, August 24th, 1662, which is commonly known as the Great Ejection. On that day, 2,000 Puritan pastors were stripped of their ordination and permanently thrown out of their Anglican churches. This really happened. One of those ejected ministers was Matthew Mead, and he wrote, This fatal day deserves to be written in black letters in England's calendar. Ian Murray describes the spiritual fallout of that dark day, writing this, After the silencing of the 2000, we enter an age of rationalism, of coldness in the pulpit, and indifference in the pew. An age in which skepticism and worldliness went far to reducing national religion to a mere parody of New Testament Christianity. J.B. Marsden, who's a historian, saw the events as an invitation for the Lord's judgment. And he noted, within five years of the ejection of the 2,000 nonconformists, London was twice laid waste. The great ejection occurred in the summer of 1662. In 1665, an epidemic of the bubonic plague struck London, killing more than 100,000 people, which is roughly one quarter of its population. The following year, a massive massive fire swept through London, incinerating more than 13,000 homes, nearly 100 churches, including St. Paul's Cathedral, and decimating most of the city. Many historians agreed with Marsden, viewing those disasters as divine retribution for England's impenitence. Those calamities don't compare to the spiritual consequence they suffered. Marsden continued, Other calamities ensued, more lasting and far more terrible. Religion in the Church of England was almost extinguished, and in many of her parishes the lamp of God went out. J.C. Ryle summed it up this way, I believe the great ejection did an injury to the cause of true religion in England, which will probably never be repaired. All of England as a nation felt the effects of the great ejection. Why am I telling you this? 
because as Brad has already referenced in Canada, we had something very similar come down the pike. On December 7th, 2021, Bill C-4, which criminalizes conversion therapy, passed the Senate in Canada in a single motion. What is all of this? Is Well, the bill's wording is sufficiently broad to allow for the criminal prosecution of Christians who would speak biblical truth about sexual sins like homosexuality and transgenderism. Let me just read it to you. What is conversion therapy? It defines conversion, the bill defines conversion therapy as a practice, treatment, or service designed to, and there's six different areas, if you practice treatment or service in order to change a person's, a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual, you have broken this law. If you practice treatment or service that is designed to change a person's gender identity to cisgender, that's against the law. Change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the gender assigned to the person at birth, that's against the law. If you repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior, then that's against the law. If you repress a person's non-cisgender gender identity, or if you repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the gender assigned to the person at birth, then you have broken this law. In other words, if a Christian stands up and if they read Leviticus 18 from a pulpit, you could suffer up to five years in prison. And if passed by the Senate, then even a mother or father who talks to their children of repentance and faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to repent of those sins that the Bible has called wrong and evil and wicked, even if a mother or father talks to their child about it, and they could be threatened with five years in jail. And though this bill does not explicitly remove preachers from their pulpits the way the great ejection did, you need to understand that if a person stands up and if they walk through the Scriptures, if they teach the Scriptures and if the Scripture leads them to a place where they must call sin, sin, and they must do it boldly, and they must do it with passion, and they could be removed from their pulpits because they're arrested. But I want you to make no mistake, this bill and the great ejection of 1662 has less to do with Anglicans and homosexuality and transgenderism or the promotion of those things. It has more to do with the suppression of the gospel. You have to understand that these things are not cultural issues. These are gospel issues. And they are calling churches and they are calling Christians to get in line with society over and above Scripture. It was requested by uh, Liberty Coalition in Canada on the first Lord's Day after Bill C-4 comes into effect, which is today, January 16, 2022, please publicly preach a sermon that specifically proclaims the biblical truth that homosexuality and transgenderism are serious sins condemned by the law of God that exclude a sinner from salvation without repentance. And there are several churches all across our country who are taking the opportunity to look at what is biblical sexuality. Um, one of those churches is John MacArthur, and I will be listening to his sermon as soon as it becomes available about it. This morning, um, I'm making you aware of what's going on, but I will not be preaching topically on those sins specifically as revealed in Scripture. They are sins. They are to be condemned as sins. 
They are to be seen as wrong and wicked. But my desire to you this morning is to look beyond just that and to try to go to the the root and to stress the need for you to take this gospel, which is really what they're trying to suppress, which is really what they're trying to squash, take this gospel and to take that message into a lost and dying world. There are two reasons why that will be the focus. The first is simply this. I'm in the series Renew 22, the sermon series that Tim started. And we've been going through the Scripture, and we've been walking through the Bible, and it has helped us to see the accomplishment of the Gospel, the application, the implications of the Gospel. And today we were going to move into the section of the expansion of the gospel. And we're going to do that this morning. So we're going to walk and continue in that vein, in that line. But secondly, the condemnation of those cultural sins is absolutely biblical, and we need men and women to correctly take stands against against them. But, and I, I say this with a lot of love, I fear that our church would feel more comfortable with a message like that than one that confronts the fears and even the sins of people in our culture, in our own community, and even in men and women and boys and girls in this room, namely our lack or our fear of gospel expansion. So we're going to move to the text, we're going to look at the scripture this morning, and we're going to see how are we, as North Clay Baptist Church, as we look at the landscape and the culture and the world around us, as we see that it is sin dead, and it is thrilled to be dead in its sin, and it's promoting sin deadness, and it is, it is promoting its sinful behavior. As we look at that culture, what is our response? What is our answer? And it can be nothing short of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is the gospel mission? What is this message that we are to take? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And we're going to look at the culture that we face as we take the gospel message into the world. If you've got your Bibles, please open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 20. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, From now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do love you and we do praise you. And Father, we do at this time want to lift up and to pray for our brothers and sisters who are in Canada who are this day starting to live life underneath a new bill, underneath a new 
restriction by the government that tells them what they can and cannot say. And it has so many implications about how how they are to proceed forth with the gospel. It makes no difference on their gospel call, but God, you know that it does make a difference on what they may and will suffer for following the gospel call. I pray that you would give them boldness and that you would give them a passion for the lost. And Lord, I pray for North Clay. I pray that as we look to our culture, though we don't fall under Bill C-4, and though we're not being told expressly what we can and cannot say, even though there are no limitations coming on us from the government as of right now, Lord, we recognize that the culture that we could walk into is desperately wicked. And it wants nothing to do with your gospel. And Father, I pray you would make us bold and compassionate for those in the culture and in the community around us. I pray all this in your son's name, Jesus, and for his sake. Amen. In these verses, we are called, if you are in Christ, we are called ambassadors. And an ambassador, as we're going to define it this morning, is a representative or a promoter sent to a foreign country representative or a promoter sent to a foreign country. Why are we, if we're in Christ, why are we called ambassadors? What foreign country are we to go to? None of us in here, or at least few of us in here, are taking up a missionary's call to go into a foreign country or to go uh, on even uh, mission trips uh, that take us into a, a different country or maybe even across state lines. So why are we ambassadors? Why do we say that? Because the line is drawn in Scripture that we are going to a different country, not so much in state lines or the lines marked out by man, but rather we are new creations. We are made alive in Christ And there are those who are foreign to life in Christ. And they live very differently than those who are alive and awake to the gospel. We are no longer enemies of God. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says this, For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. If you're in Christ, you're no longer an enemy of God. If you're in Christ, you have come from darkness and into light. Just as we have been reconciled to God and no longer dwell in darkness, we are called to proclaim the mighty acts of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It is the primary call. It is the primary reason that the church is still here in the world. Is to call, is to be an ambassador, is to walk into a community full of those still living in darkness and proclaim, come to the light of the world. Come to Christ. It's the primary reason we're, la- we're left here. It's the primary reason the church is still in the world today. His final words, Christ's final words before He left, before He ascended into heaven, it's the Great Commission. It says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Notice he said, Go, therefore, and make disciples. 
Go therefore and preach. Go therefore and testify about the life we have in Christ. Go therefore and talk about, preach about this ministry of reconciliation. He did not say go and have biblical fellowship. He did not say go and worship. He said go and make disciples. I believe the reason he said that or one of the reasons why he said that is if, if fellowship was the primary goal of the church or if worship was the primary goal of the church, he would not have left the church here. He would have taken it up, taken it up to heaven immediately. Go and make disciples. The primary call of this church and every church that is in Christ is to preach the gospel of Christ. And nowhere, perhaps, in all of the world, in all of the times in history, has a location been so saturated in this message of the gospel than in the southeastern United States of America. You've all heard this. What do we live in? We live in the buckle of the what? The Bible Belt. We live in the Bible Belt. We've all heard that many, many times before. You'd think that hearing about the work of reconciliation would be daily. You would think that when you're just walking around in the Bible Belt, all of a sudden a complete stranger might walk up to you and they might say, hey, let me talk to you about Jesus. You might be under the impression that if you live in a place that's known as the Bible Belt, as all of the southeastern United States of America is, that everywhere you go, gospel conversations will be taking place. And yet, and I say this, I say this with as much love and compassion as I can see for the people who have been around me, for everybody here, for people outside of this community, but outside of the walls of a church building, or outside of the safety net of a church ministry, I, in my almost 40 years of life on this earth, I have never once been approached by any ambassador of Christ to tell me the gospel of Jesus Christ outside of the church walls or outside of the ministry of a church. Guys, gospel, evangelism, and conversation is not happening outside of the walls of a church or the safety net of a ministry of the church. And what that tells me is that we, as a collective whole, in the Bible Belt, are not taking up the call personally of evangelism to preach and to teach the ministry of reconciliation. Something is unlatched in the Bible Belt. And this, the southeastern United States of America, is the foreign country. This is the area where we, as ambassadors of Christ, are called to be. We're called to be here in a place that says it knows the Bible and yet doesn't talk about the Bible unless it's in a building. As a whole. So what is, we have to talk about what is this ministry of reconciliation? What is the gospel message what is the message we're supposed to carry? Hopefully none of these things are going to be new to us at all. But 2 Corinthians, which we just read, 5.19, says this, that it is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation what is this gospel message? What is this ministry of reconciliation? Well, it has to start with the fact that you are trespassers. You are in sin. You are estranged to God. You are His enemies. 
You are in darkness. And Jesus is not. God is not. Because of our sin, because of our trespasses, our our relationship with God is broken. It's estranged. But there is reconciliation. There is a way that we can be reconciled. And it's simple. It's easy. It's something that can be said in just a few words. And Paul does say it in just a few words so many times. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, he says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not proclaim... Uh, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We don't have to be the most eloquent uh, uh, talkers, obviously. We don't have to have the greatest speech in the world. We don't have to be able to argue better than everyone else. No, our message is this, as Paul worded, it's Christ and it's Him crucified. That's our message. Jesus Christ is perfect. We aren't. We're sinners. We're trespassers. We have fallen short of the glory of God and we need reconciliation. Christ in His very being, in His person, never sinned. Jesus Christ, the perfect one. He was crucified. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that it was Him who knew no sin. That that one who was perfect was crucified. And on the cross, He took the sins of those that He called from darkness into light. He made them a new creation. 1 Corinthians 15, which we've read so many times before in this series. Tim's read it the last few times that we've come to this series, Renew in 2022. Paul again words it so, so simply and so quickly. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I preach to you which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. He says, the Gospel message, it can be summed up so easily that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day. I have determined to know nothing among you other than Christ and Him crucified. Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a simple and easy message. It's a message that we've all heard in this building Time and time again, it's a message that is called to be proclaimed out into the cultures and the communities in Canada into clay. That's the message that we're called to bring to this dark world, to this sin-dead world. And probably everyone in this room has heard that over and over again, and I would hazard a guess that nobody in here disagrees with that gospel message. And inside these walls, we proclaim it diligently. And we proclaim it with boldness. But there is a gospel misuse when we leave these walls, I fear. 
We all agree with that, that that's the right message in here, but when we're outside of formal gatherings of the church, I've never once been approached by anyone to tell me that message. As someone who is being an ambassador for Christ, what we do here, though, in the buckle of the Bible belt, what we hear constantly over and over and over again are very kind-hearted, very sweet church invitations. Why don't you come with me to church? And that's, that's a good thing to do. It is right and good to say, why don't you come with me and join me for church and, and, and hear the sermon and sing to our great God. The problem comes when we believe that that simple invitation, come with me to church, is evangelistic. There is a chasm of difference between, why don't you come with me to church and let me tell you about Jesus Christ who never once sinned. He lived a righteous life so that He could take your sins and He could give you His righteousness. There is a difference between those two statements. But in the buckle of the Bible belt, I have never once been approached by an ambassador to tell me about Jesus Christ, but I have been invited to so many churches. I fear that the church in the Bible belt has created ambassadors who will preach the gospel of church membership over the ministry of reconciliation. And in so doing that, Many who have joined the church have done so under a false gospel. And we were warned that there would be false converts in the church. We were warned about that. Christ Himself, in Matthew chapter 13, He tells a parable. Starting in verse 24, he says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. The servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn." We don't have to guess about what these verses mean because Jesus Himself tells us the meaning of the parable. Verse 36, Then He left the crowds and went to the house. And His disciples said to Him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest... Is the, end of it, is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. They would start off in the same field. They might even look like us and grow up beside us. But Christ warned us that there would be weeds who have trusted in a false gospel or who have come to sow seeds of a false gospel. And 
The enemy has sown false gospels. And he has sown false converts. And at the end, they're going to be revealed. But I need to lovingly tell you that there are many people that I know personally that I fear fall into this group. So many from high school and from college. Man, they, they went to church every, every single week. But on Monday, there was nothing about a gospel call in their life. On the school bus that I drive, school bus is nothing but a great big yellow can of depravity and the children on that bus will tell you about how they went to church as they cuss you out in my own family I have people who I know that mom would weep over and say, I don't know about them. But boy, they went to church every single Sunday. And lovingly, I will say this, that I fear there are people here, here, and here that fall into that same category. that have heard the gospel message because they've come here or because maybe you have been approached by an ambassador. But you are not the wheat. You are a wheat. I don't know who it is. I can't see, but from front to back, all over churches here in the Bible Belt, we see people who walk out of the doors and never proclaim the gospel of Christ, but they proclaim the gospel of church membership. That means there are church members who might not know the gospel. Matthew chapter 7 tells us this. Christ, again, speaking in verse 21 through 23, says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The Baptist version of that might say, but God, I was a deacon. Lord, Lord, I was a Sunday school teacher. God, I worked in VBS, and you know how those kids were. I went to church every single week. And yet there will be many who have that testimony about all the things they did as church members. And they'll hear, I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness, depart from me. You see, when the gospel is reduced to church membership, then people trust in the role sheet rather than the person and work of Christ. And this is displayed every time I go to tell the gospel. A few years ago, before COVID started, I took some of the students to Cosby Lake. And it was for the express purpose of sharing the gospel, of talking about the ministry of reconciliation, of saying to people, you need reconciliation with Christ. You are in sin and in trespasses, and there is one who can reconcile you to him. His name is Jesus. He was perfect and righteous. He died on a cross so that you could have salvation. We were there at Cosby Lake 
to tell people about that. And time after time after time, when students or I would walk up to someone and we would say, let me tell you of the gospel, they would say, oh, let me stop you. I already go to, and they would tell us the church that they attended. You see, they would try to stop and silence the gospel proclamation by undercutting it with their own church membership. I already go to this church. You should visit. Again, let me note that it is wonderful and great and good to invite people to church and to bring them in and to help have them join with a family of believers. But if that's all you ever do, you have not witnessed. You have not evangelized. Rather, you must explain the need for reconciliation and the person and the work of Jesus Christ who accomplished it. So we all in this room would agree what the gospel message is. But I have been guilty. I stand before you not talking to you as if in a vacuum. I am guilty of saying I have gone out witnessing and all I did was invite people into a door. We must move as North Clay Baptist Church as those who are in what's known as the Bible Belt, we must move from the gospel of church membership and we need to be about the business of proclaiming the ministry of reconciliation. It's not about being on a roll, it's about being transformed. And I call this the gospel metamorphosis. Being changed. You're different because of the gospel. Christ encountered many who had been lulled into a false sense of security due to their religious standing. Many of us have heard about how Christ ran to Pharisees over and over and over again. And you couldn't find a better or more religious person in all the world than the Pharisees. In a lot of ways, you cannot find a better or more moral or religious person than a church attender here in the Bible Belt. But Christ, as He encountered those Pharisees, He didn't let them off the hook. Rather, He called them out of their hypocrisy. He called them into a knowledge of what the true, or where true salvation is. He told them that He was the Messiah. One encounter is particularly helpful. It was read earlier to us. In John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, we see Jesus encounter a Lord, Lord kind of a guy. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi... We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you the heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let me break down a few things for you here that's very helpful for me when I read this. Jesus is encountering here a guy who had every single Lord, Lord in the book. He knew the Bible. He knew what was expected of him from the law. He was a Pharisee. And he was a good one. Yet he didn't understand that his standing before God was not resting on his years as, a relig- as his religious uh, abilities or his ability to teach. It wasn't resting in what he could do. Rather, it was resting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It was resting in him. And so many in the Bible Belt have fallen into the same trap that Nicodemus fell into. We think, hey, I'm a church member. Hey, I go to church. Hey, I worked in VBS. Hey, I've done all these things. I'm good. And yet Christ has a word for Nicodemus and for us. No, you must be born again. See, in the Bible Belt far too often, and maybe even in this church, our faith is confined to the walls of a building or to the check mark in the box of a church roster. But if we are called to be ambassadors living here, then we need to understand that our foreign country, that our mission field, that's what it looks like. It's people who have checked all the boxes. They can say all the right things. And they can tell you what church they go to. I do want to make a a point that's interesting here. I don't want to make too much of it, but it's amazing how much difference an article can make. Just one little word. When Nicodemus comes, he comes and he says, in John chapter 3, verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, that article, a, that we know you are a teacher come from God. We know what can do these signs that you do. We look, we get it. You, you're from God. We know you're one of the guys who you. We know you're a good guy, just like us. We know you're a good guy. Hey, hey, you, we've got it, Jesus. We've got it. And then Jesus comes along, and in verse ten he adds a different article. And I, I, I don't want to reduce Christ's attitude or his action. I don't want to muddy it with where I would be, but I've got to. I've got to feel he emphasized this article here. He says, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? You mean to tell me you are the Sunday school teacher at that church? You mean to tell me that you are the VBS worker at that church? You mean to tell me that you are the faithful church member there? And you don't understand these things? He's not a way. He's not a teacher. He... Christ is the teacher. And to bring it back full circle to 2 Corinthians 5.17, if we are called to be ambassadors, we're looking at people who see Christ as just, man, he is, he is a really good person to talk about on Sundays. But man, he's not the way to talk about on Mondays. If that is our mission field, if that is our foreign country, then we must go to people and we must take the same mode that Christ did and say, no, no, no. 
It's not about where you've been or what you can do. It's about who Christ is. It's about what He can do. See, there's not a one of you here that can make yourself a new creation. There's not a one of you here that can make me a new creation. But if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's not by rosters. It's not by works. Sin is only dealt with through faith in Christ. So in conclusion, perhaps you know someone who rests their salvation on their church attendance. I know many, many, many who do that. Or at least it seems like they do. Maybe you have been guilty of reducing the gospel message, the message of, or the ministry of reconciliation to just simply inviting people to church. Saying, I've witnessed. You might be guilty of that as I have been in the past. Or it could be that you are one of those who are caught in the trap of the good news of the church membership. And today you need to repent and you need to put your faith in Christ rather than a roster. Perhaps this would be a good litmus test as we consider in 2022 the expansion of the gospel. Look to share the gospel with someone this week. Look to tell someone the gospel message. Look to explain, to expand the message. And if all you can do is invite them to church, maybe, maybe you need to consider where your hope lies. Let me pray for us. The band's going to come up and they're going to sing and lead us in worship. But I pray that you will take this gospel message, this call to evangelize with you. Not just today in these walls, but tomorrow and Tuesday in your family, in your workplaces, at your schools, wherever you go. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do love you and we praise you and I thank you for the opportunity to be here with North Clay Baptist Church. And I thank you for this church and I thank you for the blessing to be able to stand up here and to be able to open up your word and to be able to proclaim your gospel. And Father, to not be afraid or fearful that someone's going to come in through the back you're going to arrest me for having this Bible. Lord, I thank you that I have the opportunity to go out into a community and to preach the ministry of reconciliation. And I pray that I will be faithful to do that. Lord, I pray that this church would be faithful to do that. That we wouldn't reduce your gospel call to mere church invitation, but that, Father, we would tell of the person and the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. I ask all these things in His name and for His sake. Amen.